people that you have put in our lives, Lord. We celebrate right now. We just want to focus on worshiping you, Lord, and all of the blessings, all the things that you have blessed us with, Lord, are nothing compared to just being in your presence. So, Father, we just pray now that you would usher us in by your spirit. Take us out of this flesh. Just help us to focus on you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we just pray for Pastor Larry as he brings your word today that it would be life to us. And, Father, if there's anyone that does not know you, Lord, that they would be convicted in their heart to just cry out for your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness and your life eternal that you give so richly and free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God of all splendor, wonder and light, awesome
above every other name, the name that by every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord.
Lord, we need a healer today. Father, we need a savior today. We need a defender today. God, I know there's so many needs in this room right now. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, our counselor, Adonai, Abba Daddy. God, you are everything to us. Thank you for being the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, the beginning and the end, God. Oh, Jesus, you're my Redeemer, Lord. Redeemer, my
and he cares for us. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. come to you today you are there is none like you you have no rival you have no equal the psalmist wrote why did the heathen rage and why do the people imagine a vain thing you are Lord God Almighty and you are worthy of our worship if you never do another thing for us if you never bless us again if you never if you would never pour out your grace on us again you would still be worthy of our worship because of who you are and so we worship you today father and we thank you we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you for hearing us when we pray. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, that name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess of things in heaven and things on earth to the glory of God the Father. Father, we just we lift up the name of Jesus. And it is in his name and in his authority that we come before you. And Lord, we just 
we look over the audience, we look over this group of people. And it's not a great number. But Lord, we know that within this group of people, there are things that are weighing on their minds. There are things that are concerns to them. Maybe it's, maybe it's their own health. Maybe it's the health of someone they love very dearly. Maybe it's a situation with, which seems to be out of control, beyond their ability to care for it, to solve, whatever that might be. Father, right now, we lift that up to you. We lift that up to you because you told us that we could come boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need. And if we are going to be completely honest, we all need you. And we all need you today. And we all need your mercy and your grace today. And your word said that as the sun came up this morning, your mercies were renewed once again. And we thank you and we call upon your mercy for healing. Father, for those who are running from you, from those who are trying to do things on their own, trying to make life work without you, the creator of life, we pray. And we ask you this day, Father, by the power of your Spirit, call them back to yourself. We give you praise and honor and glory. And we ask you now to bless our tithes and offerings as, and gifts as we give them as unto you for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
right, well, today's a special day, as you all know, it's Mother's Day, and um, earlier today, or earlier in the service, um, they played a video, uh, and, and nobody laughed harder at that video than I did, um, especially the one about the look. The look is just, I mean, that's just classic. But, <coughs> but someone, so, that, was, that was a modern day version of, of, uh, of a mom, um, but a couple of, 3,000 years ago, the psalmist, uh, or actually the wisest man who ever lived, uh, wrote about what a woman was. And I've asked Jacob Gardner to come up, and Jacob is going to read uh, what, uh, what is found in Proverbs chapter um, 31, I believe it is, right? 31 or 30? 31. Can you, can you hold this and hold the Bible, or do you want me to get you a stand? You want to stand? Okay. A wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full of confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark and provides food for her family. She portions for her serving girls. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the sp spindle with her finger. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She, walks, she watches over the affairs of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Thank you. Okay, um, mothers, please stand up, if you can, please stand up. We certainly want, we certainly want to honor you. Children, if you will come forward. If, you're, if your mother's here today, I need you to come here for sure, and we wanna make sure that every mother gets a rose, okay? Dig in, all right? And make sure that no one is left standing. Take care of your mom, but make sure no one is left standing. Yes, sir. 
All right. How are you doing, Ronnie? Good to see you. Okay, kids, if you've taken care of your mother, we still have some mothers standing that uh, need, some, need a rose. Come, come, get, come get some. Take a couple and hand them out. Every, every, every mother got a rose. Very good. Okay. Let's just pray. Father, we just... Uh, we thank you for this special day that is set aside to honor our mothers. And uh, they, are, they are worthy of our honor. As a matter of fact, Father, you, you tell us in your word, uh, one of the great of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother uh, so that your days may be long in the land I am giving you. You, you took honoring our, our, our parents to a very high degree. And today we want to celebrate our mothers, many of us. Um, our mothers are no longer with us, um, but we still honor them for what they did in our lives and the impact that they had in our lives. So we ask your blessing upon those mothers who are still here. And we ask, them, uh, we ask that you would give them a, just a special day today, um, a, a day where they are lifted up and honored as they rightfully should be. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. I think, the, are the children already gone? Okay. All right. Um, well, let's, um, you can bring that up, Tim. I'm going to pray for the service now. Father, just as we look into your word now, I just pray that you will open our hearts and minds. As the scripture says here on a number of occasions, he that hath an ear let to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> when, I, <coughs> when I first began to think about preaching this series of sermons on the words of Jesus to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Um, it's, it's not the easiest of things to preach. It's not the easiest of things to talk to because only out of only two of the churches in the out of the seven have only favorable things to have that are said about them. One of them is the church today, the church of Smyrna. The other one is the church in Philadelphia, where they have everything that is good to say about what they have been doing. 
But depending on how you look at things, criticism, criticism can be handled negatively when criticism is, is really intended to cause people to grow. If we, are, if we never have anyone criticize what we do, there will never be any motivation for us to try to do better. Okay? I remember my, my days in the, um, not only in the, in the military, but my days when I was uh, on the fire department. Um, there, were, there were times when you, would, you knew that there was an inspection coming and you would do everything that you possibly could to make everything as perfect as it could be. And yet there was always, they would always, they, they would always find something wrong. Can I get an amen back there, brother? Huh? An amen on that. They would always find something wrong. Why? Because by finding something wrong, it caused you to strive to be better. If they, if they said that everything was just perfect, then there was no reason for you to strive to get better. And you were always striving to get better. See? Now we can handle criticism negatively. We can take it very personally. We can say, oh, you're just, you're just picking on me. You're just saying those things about me because... You want to make me feel bad. You, you're, you're saying those things because you're trying to put me down. You're trying to make yourself feel better. You know, all, all kinds of ways that we can handle criticism. But in these passages here, we're, we're talking about Jesus who's speaking. Okay, we're talking about Jesus who is paying compliments, but then also criticizing, if you will. Also saying, well, there's some, there's some areas where there's a problem. Now, we can, we can dwell on the things that he says there's a problem and say, well, what's the purpose or what's the use? Or we can take to heart the fact that always, I don't think I can emphasize that enough, always, when God is dealing with us, He is always dealing with us in a redemptive sort of way. He is always trying to get us to be more like Jesus, to walk closer to Him, to get rid of those things which would hinder and beset us, as the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 says, the, to, to put off the weights and the sin that so easily beset us. God's purpose and plan is always to, to cause us to be more like Jesus and to draw closer to him and to walk more in his ways. So when we see things that in, in these different churches, and, and I believe that those churches are there as a, as a warning to us, as a, as a way to point out to us, to get us to think, to, to get us to say, hey, is this something that's going on with me? Do, do, I need to make, do I need to make changes? Do I need to revisit this, this area of my life? Just like last week when we were talking about the church in Ephesus, we were talking about how, how Jesus pointed out to them, listen, there's a lot of good things you guys are doing, but one of the things that you've fallen short of is, is you've lost your first love. You've lost that zeal, that 
passion for the things of God. Now, what Jesus was saying there is, he's not saying everybody in the church has done that. What he's saying is that there are some that have. And there's a problem. And he's simply saying to us, you, as an individual, as an individual, you, visit that. Seriously. Visit it. In the privacy of your, of your prayer closet, as you're, sitting at, as you're sitting at home or wherever you're sitting, and you have that moment of time alone, Father, am I? Have I lost my passion for you? Have I lost my zeal for you? Have I lost my first love? Help me get it back. Show me how to get it back. Well, here today, Jesus isn't saying anything negative about the people in the church of Smyrna. But, he, but what he is doing is he, is he is letting them know and he's letting us know that there are things that are coming down the road. There are things that we may need to go through down the road that will test our faith in him, that will test our commitment to him. There are, there are things that are coming down the road that will that will provide us with opportunities to lay aside our faith and run off and go in some direction where we do not and should not go. And trust me, the enemy wants us to run away from our relationship with God. So I would like to read that passage of Scripture. I would like to read it all the way through, and then I will come back and we will talk about some of the things that are in it. Tim, if you would bring up the, the whole passage together so I, I can read it. In Revelation chapter 2, this is, it, this is what it says. To the angel of the church, or the messenger, of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions, and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil would put, will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Okay. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is speaking to the, to the messenger of the church of Smyrna. Many people believe that the, that the messenger that he is writing to is the famed Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. Polycarp was a, a disciple of the Apostle John who is writing, who, who wrote the book of Revelation. 
He was a, um, he was a disciple of John and lived far beyond the time of, of John. He was, actually, uh, he was actually martyred in around 155. Uh, many people believe that the book of Revelation was written in the late 90s, 96, somewhere around there, uh, about 60-some years after Jesus was crucified. So many people believe that the messenger here is that they're talking about is Polycarp. And we'll hear more about Polycarp in just a few minutes. But if you'll pull my, my PowerPoint up, Tim, we'll, we'll go forward. Jesus, as he is speaking here, he is simply, he is simply warning the church in Smyrna that there is going to be persecution that is going to come their way. Now, if we, if we read the Scriptures and we read them literally, and listen, I'm, I, I know and I, I, I understand that the concept and the idea that there would be persecution for being a Christian, other than what you may read or hear about in the... Well, you won't hear much about it in the news because they won't ever say that the, some of the things that happen are because those people were Christians. They just say they're, they, they call it uh, uh, genocide or whatever the case may be. But many of the things that you read about in some of these countries where there are people who are being murdered en masse, it is because it is one religion against another and, and the ones who are receiving it are, are generally Christians. But the idea that we, would, that we would even talk about it here in America, here in Western culture in, in America, we have an overflow, a flood, at, at an epidemic, I'm going to call it, because we have an epidemic of what I would call feel-good Christianity. God just wants to make you happy. God's only concern with you being happy. No. God's concerned with you being obedient. And He doesn't... Listen, hear me out. He doesn't care how you feel. He wants you to be obedient. He knows if you are obedient to Him, you will feel good about it because you will know that you are being obedient and you are obeying your Heavenly Father. And He will, in turn, bless you for that. Not necessarily in, in material possessions. Material possessions are not a sign that God is pleased with you. Now, I'm not saying he's displeased. I'm simply saying that material blessings are not a sign that God is pleased with what you are doing. If it was, we would have to look around at some of the richest people in the world and we would have to say, God must be pleased with what they're doing. Take, for instance, 
some of the drug cartels that are around who make literally millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every week, even day. Is God pleased with what they're doing? No. Material blessings are not a sign that God is pleased with what you... Can you count those as, as blessings? Of course you can count them as blessings. But it doesn't mean that God is... That's not an indication that God is pleased with the way you are or what you're doing or what you're involved in. Okay, God is interested in our obedience. And so in our culture here, the talk, the idea that there would be persecution, that there would be, there would be things that we could expect that will not be pleasant to go through. People go, no, don't talk to me about that. Talk to me about how much God loves me. Talk to me about how much God wants to bless me. Talk to me about how, how, how God you know, just wants me to wants me to feel good, how I can just connect with Him. Here in, here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says to us, these are the words of Him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. You see, the poverty most likely came from the afflictions that were put upon them by those who were against them. And Jesus says to them, you don't, you don't have anything materially, yet you are rich. Rich in spirituality. Rich in the, in the spiritual blessings of God. A direct contrast, and we'll talk about this more several weeks down the road, in direct contrast to the Laodicean church, the last church, where they says, we are rich and, and have all kinds of good things, and Jesus says to them, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Here, they didn't have anything. And God says, you're rich because of the spiritual vitality that is going on within you. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. A synagogue of Satan. They are, they are slandering you. They are maligning the way. They are... They are doing everything that they can. And there were, there were Jewish sects that were in all of these different areas where God's church was being built. And they were so against the concept of, of Jesus being the Savior. They, they called Him cursed because, and they called Him the Savior who was hanged. In, in, in this town, it is believed that Polycarp was the bishop there, that he had been ordained by the Apostle John to be there. 
he goes on and he says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Now, I'm going to go back again because I, I, want you to, I want you to hear this. The words of Jesus as he was getting ready to go to the cross and he is speaking to his disciples in the book of John. And he says to them, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul later writes, I believe it is to Timothy, and he says, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I'm not looking for trouble. I, I, really, I really am not. I'm really not looking for trouble. But Jesus seems to be telling us in this passage and in other passages that if we are going to, if we are going to live true to Him, if, we are going to, if, we are, if our lives are going to be those lives which, which manifest the presence of the Spirit of God in the things that we do and the way we live and conduct ourselves in the world, what we are for and what we are against, and the fact that we can voice ourselves against things that are not godly and that we can stand up for those things which are godly. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I'll tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution 10 days. That 10 days, if you look in different parts of the scripture, it, it really means it's going to be a short time. It's not going to be prolonged. It's not going to be one of those things that starts and it just, it just never ends. Even when Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 talks about the great tribulation, the great tribulation, the one where he says there will be tribulation like you've never seen before and has never been, it's never been like that and it will never be like that again. It is the great tribulation. He says even that has a limit to it. I'm going to cut it short. I'm going to cut it short. For the sake of the elect, he says. So he said, there is coming this persecution. There is coming this... this uh, the devil's going to put you in prison. He's going to try to get you. He's going to persecute you. He's going to try to get you to fail in your faith. He's going to try to get you to deny your faith. He's going to try to get you to relinquish your faith. Say, I, I, I can't deal with this. He said, be faithful. Listen to these words. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Do you hear that? Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you 
the crown of life. Now, I, want to, I told you I was going to say something to you about, about Polycarp. Polycarp was arrested in his home. People, the, his friends tried to get him to go, to go somewhere, get away, and everything else. And then he stood before, um, he stood before this proconsul of Rome. And they, and they tried to get him to swear allegiance to Caesar. They tried to get him to worship Caesar because that's what happened. Caesar would would come through and people would say, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And Christians knew Caesar wasn't Lord. They knew Jesus was Lord. And they would refuse to worship. And so the proconsul was trying to get Polycarp to renounce Jesus as Lord and proclaim Caesar as Lord. And Polycarp says to him, if you think I will swear by the genius of Caesar, then you don't know who I am. Hear me clearly. I am a Christian. And the proconsul, the proconsul condemns him to death by burning at the stake. And they take him out and they are about to, they're going to fasten him to the stake by way of nails. And he says to them, the one who provides me with the security that I need will keep me standing right here without any fasteners at all. And they bound him with ropes instead. And they gave him one last opportunity. And the history tells us that the Jewish people in that town, when they heard that Polycarp had been condemned to burn at the stake, they went out and gathered up the wood to put at the base that was going to be lit when he was standing in the middle of that pile of kindling. They gave him one last opportunity to recant and to declare Caesar to be Lord. And this is what he said. Eighty and six years I have, have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee, for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. And they lit it off and he burned to death because he refused to recant. And that is why many people believe this message to Smyrna was a message to him, but it is a message to all of us to remain faithful to Christ no matter what may come our way. Jesus goes on to say this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. What is the Spirit saying to us today? What's He saying to us through this passage? I know what He was saying 
and maybe even who he was saying it to then. But why is that phrase there? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church today. To the church today, he's telling us to be faithful to the end no matter what the cost. He that perseveres to the end will be saved. That's what Jesus said. He that perseveres to the end will be saved. He that overcomes, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What does that mean? He that preserves to the end will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name, listen to this, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Oh my goodness, pastor, you're preaching hell, fire and brimstone. I thought that went out decades ago well it may have gone out decades ago but the problem is is this truth still stands today and if we we can ignore it and we can and we can put it in the back of our minds and we can take it and we can say well i'm not going to preach on that i am i am going to preach on it because i don't want a single one of you in this room today to come up to this and go Whoa, this is the second death. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. In case you didn't hear me, there are no do-overs. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The first death is the one you die here on earth. That's the first death. Every one of us are going to do that. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. We're all going to die. We're all, we're all going to die. Until Jesus comes back. And then that'll come, to, that'll come to an end. But up until that time, I don't know when that is, we are all going to die. Every single day. Every single day. We get one day closer to that time. And we don't know when it is. That's the first death. That's the first death. Every one of us is going to have to deal with that in some way. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, arts, magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Jesus said to his disciples, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can not only kill the body, but kill the soul as well. This is the second death. And the second death will have no... Listen, let's go back. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He's going to give us the crown of life. Now we go here. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes. He who overcomes 
will not be hurt by the second death. Now, you understand? You understand what I'm saying? You will not be hurt by the second death. So here's the question. And here's what Jesus is trying to get to us and say to us. There is nothing. There is nothing in this life that could possibly be worth missing out on heaven. There's nothing that could possibly be worth missing out on heaven. And so Jesus calls us and says, no matter what comes your way, be brave. Stand firm. Hang in there. There's nothing that they can do to you. And if they do it to you, if they do it to you and they cause you to lose your life, he said, I will give you the crown of life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. These are not always easy words to hear. We, we've really had it pretty easy here in, in America. <coughs> and, and I'm not begging for that to change, Lord. But we've had it, we've had it so easy that we we tend to take these passages of Scripture that, that talk about persecution and talk about the loss of life because of our faith, and we kind of tuck them away. Let's, let's not talk about that. Maybe if we ignore it, it'll go away. And yet, Father, you tell us here, Whatever it is, we need to persevere to the end. We need, to, we need to hold on, knowing that it can't last forever. And knowing that your approval awaits us on the other side. So I, I pray, Lord, Pray, Lord, for each and every person that's here. If they're here today and, and their name isn't written in the Lamb's book of life, just as the verse says, if it's not written in the book of life, the second death is, the first death and the second death are in their future. But when we repent, and when, we, and when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the second death goes away. The first, the first death is still a reality. But what awaits us on the other side is the crown of life. And so, Father, I just pray that we will determine in our mind 
we will focus our efforts to draw closer to you, to walk more like Jesus, and say, this is who I will be. Hear me clearly. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. And Father, we, we want to pray for the ministries of this church before we leave today. We pray for the prison ministry, and we thank you for it. Father, we want to say a, a, a special prayer today for the ministry at the, at the Transitional Center. And we want to pray, Lord, for Chaplain Burke. Um, Lord, I, I know that as one of your children, you are going to provide for her. But I, I pray for the, for the great loss. Her presence means to the transitional center and to the ladies that are there. And so, Father, I know that there is a, there is a sense, there is a feeling that the spiritual aspect of that place is not as important as it used to be. And Lord, we know that it's more important now than it has ever been. And so, Father, in the place, in the place of Chaplain Burke, I pray that you will raise up in that place women who are so committed and so infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they will begin to take on the ministry of reaching the other ladies for Christ. That they will take up that spiritual ministry that is so needed and that they will be the ones who now minister to the others. Father, I know, I know that there are those there that have that, have that desire. Would you empower them and fill them with the Holy Spirit so that that could be accomplished? The fact that a chaplain is no longer there does not mean that your spirit cannot move through that campus and change lives in a powerful way. Father, I, I pray for Love Serves and the many changes that are coming there. I pray for the upcoming mission trip, Lord. And I, I, I just pray, Lord, for, uh, for the Gideons. I, I pray, Lord, that as they hand out these scriptures, Father, more and more people are going to read the power of your word, sense the power of your word. And Lord, we pray for that ministry, and here's what we pray. We pray, Lord, that you will raise up more young men, young businessmen, who will say, I want to take up this torch. I want to take up this this ministry. I want to be a part of this ministry. There are so many of the men who are older and are, and are dying. They're dying off. And we need a fresh infusion of young men to come in and say, this is a vital ministry that needs to continue. And we pray for that, Lord. We pray for our missionaries. For, we pray for Todd today, Lord. Would you lay your hand upon him? And touch him and touch his heart, Lord, and heal him so that he may continue.
to travel and be in the ministry. We pray for Sherry as well, or Shelly as well. Lord, we pray, Lord, for the constant fatigue that she feels, and we pray for her healing touch as well. We pray for Chris Garris in Thailand. And Lord, we pray for our daycare, and we thank you for the blessing that it's been and for the families that are being touched by it each day. Father, take us now from this place. We're celebrating today. We're celebrating motherhood. And Lord, I just pray that each mother will, will sense that, uh, that honor that she's receiving. May it be a great day. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
is understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord